0: Hey guys, welcome back to episode two of Untold Riches with Richard Bridges, me, Peyton Polychromes. Today we're going to be interviewing a real estate luminary and all-around great guy, Jack Goodwood. To uh, be honest with you, we had some scheduling confusion, but he was kind enough to work around that and meet with us today to talk a little bit about his lifestyle, his uh, overall journey, and share some of his successes and his trials. So uh, anyway, Richard, take it away from here. Talk about yeah. your buddy
1: yeah super excited to have uh, have Jack joining us today. Uh, his story is one that I've gotten to actually hear a little bit about uh, before today, but I'm excited that we're gonna get a drill in and we're gonna get to hear his untold riches and also you guys getting to hear his story as well because it's compelling. you know he's done a lot and he's overcome a lot and uh, and I think it's something you guys are gonna find a lot of entertainment value in We'll make it fun of course. So let's bring him on. There we go. What's up Jack? What's up guys? Well, here. Going on. Thank you for having me. Awesome. Awesome. So I figure what we could do to start is why don't you tell us a little bit about who Jack Goodwin is? So if I were to have just met you in 10 to 15 minutes or less, tell us your story, where you started and how you got to where you are here.
2: All right. Um, I would say I'm a very happy, very blessed individual. Um, I don't have a crazy, crazy tale of, you know, rags to riches or, you know, drug drug addict to successful, you know, millionaire or something like that. I feel like I'm a normal guy, but um, I think uh, a good reason for a lot of my success is that I had very good parents and I had very close grandparents. And that's like, I've, I was almost embarrassed of that for a lot of my life. I was like, oh man, I don't have some crazy testimony to talk about. Hmm. But that is like my story and my testimony is that I've I've had a wonderful family that's always, you know looked out for me and, um, you know, we're not, we're not, uh, I didn't, I didn't grow up with money or anything, but it was, there was always love in that house and that, that propelled me, you know, for the rest of my life. And I always knew I had that to depend on if in a nutshell, like what's the biggest reason for success? I would, I would say it's that background and that start.
1: Yeah. Right on. So obviously super close family. Where'd you grow up?
2: So I grew up, uh, outside of Richmond, Chesterfield County, basically, suburbia 101 yeah
1: what was a crazy story you can think of from your youth uh that maybe you got in a little too much trouble or you tried something out and didn't go according to plan or an experience you had at school talk to us about some of those awkward transition years as you were growing up in Chesterfield sure um
2: so I was always like the uh the smart one of the group the the guy that's going places and I hung out with like the knuckleheads who were you know, like, all right, well, we'll we'll let Jack hang out with us, but we got to make sure Jack doesn't get in trouble because Jack's gonna Jack's gonna be the one that goes to college or goes to whatever. So it was always like, I don't know, it was always that pressure. So sure, I had my share of knucklehead stories, but I was always smart enough to like leave before the cops showed up or like, you know, <laughs> always, really I was, yeah, so they good. would they would always like they would I know they would comment on that and like, uh, you know, I, yeah. I was very gifted at always like. Not being at the wrong place at the wrong time. I Always had a way of leaving before things got too crazy. Um, but yeah, I mean, I I grew up in Richmond, uh, played baseball. Um, I mean, I was very heartbroken. I had this you know dream. I want to play you know Division One baseball, and I was a good baseball player. I played um, for a big high school. Uh, we had two thousand people in the high school, and I was the number three, number four hitter on the team. Wow. So like, I I had dreams like I you know I was the top one or two players on the team thought I'd go play college baseball. Long story short, I got offers for like, you know, small schools, division three schools, but no division one offers came my way. Um, And so I I think luckily I was, you know, smart enough. I think a lot of people make the mistake of maybe chasing the dream and going, you know, going to do something that that they're definitely not going to do four years later. And uh, I'll credit myself for realizing, okay, well, the, uh, the critics have spoken. I'm not good enough. I'm not going to be a professional baseball player. Where do I want to go to school? And so I kind of said, I want to go to a big school or bus. Maybe I'll try to walk on and we'll see what happens and if it works out great. And so I you know, applied to JMU, Virginia Tech, and um, University of Virginia. Got into Virginia Tech and JMU. And basically said, I'm going to go to the biggest school that I can get into. Kind of a shallow reason. I wanted like big sports, so I went to Virginia Tech over over James Madison that, you know, wasn't as well known. That's not
0: shallow if you're passionate about it though, man. It's like, sure. like
2: yeah, I guess it. so. I mean, and I don't, I do not regret that decision. I went <laughs> now Virginia tech is not what it used to be, but 2006 to 2010, we were really good at both football and, and basketball hmm. uh, top three, top 10, top five, like the three or four seasons that I was there. And it was a lot of fun. Um, yeah. To be a part of that. And um i just guess try to get right into it like a a big story that that did impact me is um i was there i was a freshman on campus for the virginia tech shooting um and you know at the time shootings are terrible i feel like they don't get the uh the headlines if you will as they used to but you know because now they happen god forbid so often um but that was a big deal i mean it was it was columbine and then virginia tech if we if we think about it. this was 2007 i was on campus in the fall of 2006 so i was spring of my or my my freshman year rather and uh yeah that was a very real experience for me so i just remember just real quick anecdote about that like i was on campus and basically the campus is divided from academic side then you have this big drill field that you walk across and then you have the, uh, the dorm room side. So I was walking from the dorm room side nine o'clock in the morning or nine fifteen, And I'm walking down, down the steps, down the Hill to walk across the drill field. And I just start seeing people running. Like, I'm like, all right, this isn't good. Like something's going on, but everyone's just starting to run across the drill field. So, you know, something's going on, you know, something's wrong. Um, so yeah, you just start doing a light jog back and, you know, that was a very scary time because this wasn't the age of cell phones or internet. Like I remember the only person really that I texted back then was cause you had like limited texts. Like I had like a hundred texts to use for the month or something, but like right. it was, it was my dad who's like the least tech savvy guy in the world. But like that was his way to keep up with his son. That's now gone off to college is he would send me little text messages, you know, every other day or something. So uh, but I couldn't like, I couldn't get a text through, we ran back to the dorms and like we were we were you know, um, we were shut off like we we couldn't go anywhere and we couldn't get any info out info in. Luckily like my great aunt she's now passed away but she called me to make sure I was okay and I said yeah I'm back in my dorm I'm okay, and I found out later she was able to get the word out to my mom and dad because no one could reach. You know that was a very scary time there in Richmond four hours away. I'm in Blacksburg Virginia at Virginia Tech. And, you know, it was it was a very scary time. I don't know who who of my friends, you know, we turn on the news and then we see the academic building right across You know, the hall. They're dragging bodies out and they're dragging people out. And, you know, it was a very scary time. You don't know who of my friends is there, who's, you know. Um, So that that was like a defining experience, I guess, if I could say, like, what did I you know, 15 some years later, what has it now been? So 2007 to, yeah. um, Yeah. So, you know, what have I learned or what, you know, what, what, how did that shape or mold my life? I mean, thankfully I didn't know anybody directly, but I had friends on my dorm that had friends that were shot. And that was very, that was very sad. That was very, you know, um, a very trying time. Uh, But the weird thing and I feel comfortable saying this because all of my 10 to 20 friends you know from freshman year we all said the same thing the next month was my best experience at Virginia Tech by far mm-hmm. so may sound weird but I'll tell you why it's because it was springtime it was then it was like so it was April 16th we had to just get through exams call it like May 15th or whatever um, we came back to campus Everyone was super understanding. The campus was so well bonded. Um, Virginia Tech is known for having school spirit. Like, it's crazy. Everyone just wears orange and maroon every day to class. Like, you may have, like, a day at another school where you wear, like, oh, there's a football game, so I'll wear purple or I'll wear my school color. It's different at Virginia Tech. And if you haven't been there to experience, you don't understand. Like, it's school spirit is on a different level. And it was even more amplified after the shooting And, you know, so it was me and all our friends, all the teachers said, hey, your grades for this semester um, can only improve if you want to take your final exams, you can only improve your grade. And they did that for across. So there was no pressure. You were taking exams just to see what you could do. So it turned into four weeks of just hanging out. Um, You know, we'd get in a circle out on the quad or something. One of the guys is playing his guitar. Uh, we're, we're playing football, you know, uh, the drinks are flowing, et cetera. Like, it's just a good time at campus and we all bonded, gelled, and I was great friends with all those guys. Um, still, I'm really good friends with a couple of the guys, uh, that, that live up here in Northern Virginia, where I live now uh, outside of DC. And that time was, you know, was my best time at Virginia tech. So from tragedy, it actually made us all, all come closer, um, cool. So, I mean, if I could have a silver lining and a good takeaway from that, Mm -hmm. um, I'd say that 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 would be it. And then, you know, got me in my feelings, got me in my soul searching. I ended up going on a mission trip that summer out to California where we walked across the border to Tijuana and, you know, delivered things to orphanages and stuff. And um, I got a job at SeaWorld that summer, like at the churro stand just to pay the bills for the summer. And, uh, you know, so that, that, that was like a really good, good summer, but, uh, people knew I wore a Virginia tech shirt and, you know, I'd go around telling people about Jesus all summer and they would stop and talk to me because I had a Virginia tech shirt on and they wanted to talk to me. Oh, are you a student? Like you're, you know, I'm a 21 year old kid or 20 year old kid. They're like, Oh, you were actually, I was 19. It was freshman year. Yeah. So I was 19 years old. Um, you know, so that was like a, a way in to like talk to people and get conversations going as we were on that mission trip because I was a Virginia Tech student. So I kind of feel like that made me feel better, like it was all for a reason, and um, you know, my one small part in trying to make the world better. You know, that summer through through that tragedy.
1: Yeah, oh, man, that's super heavy. Did I go too deep? I'm sorry. No, no. That, honestly, that was, that's to minute, why was we're to minute
2: forty, not minute eighteen. Sorry. No, it's it's fine. It's
0: honestly that's. We live in a culture that's sort of steeped in repetitive 9-11 and tech and COVID. And we all have numerous examples of like ways that we societally get knocked down. And as we get more and more connected, I think as a culture, we experience that together in in a unique ways, kind of as time has passed, but to kind of rewind and have such a personal account of something that for us was a tragic headline really helps me to kind of put a, a face to the experience. But at the end of the day, the reason we're talking today is about overcoming adversity and reaching goals and kind of setting new expectations for yourself and kind of reinventing your expectations for where life is going to take you. And individually, we all have those moments. So hearing that you were involved in something like that, and then that you took that as campus culture developed and brought you together, and then as you took that out into the world as a missionary, like that's pretty telling, not just about you, but about people. And I think that speaks
2: directly to why we wanted to have you on today. Yeah. And, oh, well, it, and I don't want to sell myself as a missionary or anything. That was the only summer I did it. But, you know, it was, uh, you know, that, that
1: experience did shape me and, and mold me. And um, yeah, it it's was, spurred, it spurred yeah. action. And I think one thing, you know, question that I have is as you were experiencing that and going through it. And then as the dust settled and um, you were looking at like what was next in your life, did anything change for you in terms of where you were going? Right. Like we kind of have these, especially when we're young, we have this loose concept of our ultimate destination and we're really trying to develop that. And I can't imagine having an experience like that at nine, eighteen, nineteen 18, 19 years old. Um, Yeah. That, that it wouldn't change.
2: Yeah. Well, the, the, uh, the saying ended up being "live for 32. So it was 32 students that were killed plus the guy, plus the shooter. Obviously everyone forgets about him, but the, the slogan, the saying was "live for 32 yeah. And, you know, they do a walk every April about that and a commemoration. And there's a memorial there at Virginia Tech. I visit that every time. And I didn't know anybody personally, but I know like I can like almost it's kind of weird, like how connected you are to it, even though you're not directly connected. Like I know I can see all the faces of all 32, like they're just all stuck in my brain and maybe 10 professors and 20, 19 to 24 year olds and a couple of grad students like In front of them and it was it was taken um so it kind of makes you look in the mirror and say okay how how do i um you know how do i honor them or how do i finish this degree how do i you know make sure that you know i put my mark on the world and i don't actually talk about the virginia tech shooting that often so this is actually um but i think it's always back there subconsciously in the in the in the mind of uh you know how can i not not really I wouldn't say I think like live for thirty two every day that's probably too much but um it does it definitely does shape decisions that you make that you can't take anything for granted mm-hmm. cliche, but it is true you're not promised anything, and I think that probably did mold me a little bit to go ahead and just go get what I want out of life mm-hmm. and not not uh you know I should go. Yeah, it's
0: not just whether it shapes you every moment. Now, 15 years later, it still was a divergence in your path that took you in a new way that you wouldn't necessarily have taken. So in some way, it's like everybody carries tragedy in their lives, like whether it's a personal loss or whatever professional failure in a unique way, but every single time your path branches off and you start walking along a different branch. You know, so in small ways, it probably was a watershed moment. It's like well, I, so. if
2: I could like look, look back and I'm thinking about it now and have perspective on it like it. You know, you're you're going to do what your parents tell you to do until you're 18 or most people will. Mm-hmm. And then so that may be like going to church or like whatever it is, your relationship with God. But like at some point it has to become your own. Mm-hmm. And what makes you continue that? That was probably that moment that as a young adult now was like, OK, yes, I'm still going to follow God. I'm still going to follow Jesus. And, you know, I that probably, you know, maybe I wasn't on that path for the first semester at Virginia Tech and have a lot of fun and stuff. And, you know, but, um, you know, that that kind of reoriented oriented my path as an
1: adult and going forward for the next now we're 15 years later. Yeah, You know, you've, you've brought up, a, you've, you've mentioned it a couple of times, kind of like your faith and spirituality, uh, your relationship with God uh, and those things. And, and, and so it seems like that's a big part of your life. So tell me about how you've kind of embraced your spirituality, uh, your religion and those things and, and, and the decisions you've made that have ultimately kind of gotten you to where you are now in life.
2: Yeah. I've been asked to like, you know, share my testimony with people, and like I said, that was always a, a tough thing for me to do because I was like, I don't have this, you know, come to Jesus moment. It was like my grandparents and I think I'm not sure, but I'm pretty sure my grandparents parents, you know, were were Christians and, you know, just good, good people from the country and went to church every Sunday and Wednesday night service and stuff like that. And just, you know, I'm um, sure they had their problems and, you know, you hear stories and stuff, but like, you know, rooted in the Lord, like I don't have some crazy salvation story. So, um but I, I think uh, I lost my train of thought there. What was the question?
1: Basically, like, how
2: have you used the faith? Oh, yeah. so, um, yeah. There's been several instances in my life where, you know, I didn't come from money, but like God has always shown up for me. And, you know, I've always, you know, I think, you, you know, I believe that God helps those who help themselves, too. Mm-hmm. Um, I've always been willing to to do my fair share, but like there's been... I can tell like one small example of when I didn't have money or I didn't have something and God has provided for me. Um, like at Virginia tech, uh, my parents paid the tuition, but I paid the room and board. And so I had to get a job and I was flipping pizzas at Sabaro, making, you know, and I became a manager by my <laughs> senior year at Sabaro, flipping pizzas, but like, you know, money was tight. And, you know, I remember, I don't remember the specifics now. I wish I could write down the actual numbers, but I, I didn't have a lot of money. I was stressed. And I didn't want to make a phone call home or anything like that. I wanted to just figure it out. Mm-hmm. And I still like put the offering in in the plate at church like that Sunday. Literally I, like seven days later, I get a $1,500 or $1,800, like something big from Virginia Tech. Like why would I never, that was the only time that that ever happened. I just got a check from Virginia Tech to John Goodwin, my legal name, like I, that came out of nowhere, but I, I attributed that to like, I took, I had faith in God when I didn't have much. Mm-hmm. And that's just a small example of how he rewarded me, you know, yeah. 10 days later or seven days later. And it was, uh, I still don't forget that. And there's been two or three other examples of, of tough times. And, you know, I, I stayed true to that financially. And then I was rewarded, you know, a month later, or big, you know, big time. So they call that the prosperity gospel, and I don't, I don't believe in that. And that's, you know, that's not what the Bible says. But I do believe that, you know, if you if you have faith in God and and you know and believe that He's going to take take care of you, that you know, I've seen it in my own life. That it
0: you, know, you, you can draw it. from other faiths. I mean, karma is a pretty common word for that. If you pay life forward, if you invest in that's, the betterment, that's basically what I'm people, saying. People, because, right, you're going to get that back. You know what I mean? It's yeah. god whatever that shape that takes for you is going to see you if you burn brighter you know if that's in my darkest moments it's always been like what's purpose it's like well life is dark and entropy is real be the brightest candle you can and bring as much light to the world with whatever label you want to put on it as you can and then you're going. people are going to gravitate toward that light good things are going to gravitate toward good things and i think learning that at a young age and having that confirmed for you you know you and i are only acquainted but you give a great impression. You just are, have a great temperament and demeanor. And I, it seems like that's informed by that. You've mentioned a couple of times also that I wanted to touch on that your foundation was firm and that that honestly is a, an untold story. A lot of times these days, it's like everyone kind of pursues that, that dream of stability and family and love and unity and, and support. And, and, but that is, that, that allows you to springboard off of that and, and stumble and fall and get back up. And, I, I think that's a valuable story to share as well. You know, it's like whether whatever home you come from, each person's struggle is real and you can still overcome those struggles and become something you want to be. So I think it's pretty cool to set the benchmark that way.
1: I think it's neat. And, you know, in, in another example of kind of that same philosophy is like the law of attraction. You know, mm-hmm. we have like some secret fans out there and that was something I was introduced for every single day. Uh-huh. Um, and, and so I've had that experience all the way to, you know, law of attraction kind of stuff and looking at different degrees of other people being in an incredibly challenging time in my life, uh, a number of times. And I would be like, not eating, I couldn't have food. Uh, you know, we were on living on food stamps at one point, And I remember I would have friends and I'd go out and I didn't, obviously it's very embarrassing. And especially then when I, my identity was so closely tied to my ability to earn a living, and when you can't, all of a sudden, your self worth is just nothing. And I would go out with somebody, and you know, be like, "Oh, we're going to eat," and I'm like, "Oh, that's cool. Yeah, no, I ate already. I'm I'm fine." In reality, I was starving, and mm. uh, and had people buy me lunches. Like it would happen almost all the time when when I would go out, and I would be just trying to be social and get out of you know get my, out of my head and and out of my circumstances. And people were just so kind and so generous. And I really wanted and tried to pay that forward as I've gotten older and being around other people because you just never know what they're going through. Um, And I think that that's, that's an important thing. And for you to have that faith and experience the benefits and to show up and go, I don't have any money, but I'm still going to give the little amount that I have, right? I'm still going to be, I'm still going to put my faith in, in trusting this process, Mm -hmm. trusting my God, trusting the, the life experience because it's, it's, it's what I need to do, right. As a core belief for you. So that's, that's pretty remarkable. Um, uh,
2: it's actually pretty hard to do in the moment. So hats oh, off man. to anyone who who does that. Cause it's, it's a hard decision to make, you know, it's easy to talk about later or say you're going to do that six months from now, but in that moment, it's, it's hard to do that.
0: Yeah. Now, as you transition into your, your adult life and your professional life, um, were there any, Richard mentioned supporting and you mentioned forms of support. Are there any individuals, institutions, uh, you know, your faith is one, but like what helped guide you, what helped brought you to where you are now as you mature?
2: Yeah. So I think I'm known for being like a self-starter I'm self-employed, uh, you know, real estate sales and real estate development basically. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, you know, you got to get up and go. And so what has propelled, pro- propelled me to that career choice to that lifestyle. Um, I mean, I can think of a couple examples, like maybe my biggest academic lesson that I learned at Virginia Tech was we were doing our senior capstone project and it was four, It as a four person team. Honestly, I did like all the work and at the end we had to like grade each other and like, okay, did Jack, do you think Jack deserves an A? Do you think Monica deserves an A, B or C? And like we graded each other. Everyone gave me like an A plus and I kind of gave them like, you know, B's or A's or whatever. <laughs> you got to know, you know, like Jack, you definitely like it's cool. You yeah, know, well, I'm, I'm happy with a B, Jack, you deserve an A. And, like, yeah. you know, so then we get up there and I, I've got the presentation and everything. And um, I've gotten better at public speaking, but I used to be terrible and I got nervous and like my yeah. presentation wasn't that great. And I, you know, final grade from the teacher, A, 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 Jack, B plus. So I go up and talk to him like, hey, like, how come I got a lower grade than everybody? Like, it's clear. And everyone wrote on my reviews, like I did all the work here. And and she was like, Jack, I'm going to teach you a lesson now. Hopefully you can carry this into your working career because it's true. It doesn't matter how much how hard you work. It, and I was like, wait, I, mom and dad said, as long as I'm a hard worker, I'm going to be OK. Yeah, I didn't say that. But that's what I'm saying. yeah. yeah. You know, like just work hard and, you know, it'll all I'm like that. That is not the real world. Like if you work hard and you do the wrong thing or you mess up at the presentation and you flub it and you, you get really nervous. You know, it's a, she basically it's a results oriented world and your final result was not as good as the other. So I had to dock you for that. Like that is my biggest lesson and takeaway. $50,000 Virginia tech education, whatever you want to call it. Like that, that lesson right there is like served me well. Now I'm in a, I'm in a sales business. So, I take that like it, you know. There's different quotas, and I've worked for different like teams and stuff where they make you uh, oh you got to hit 50 calls a day um, to to do this. No, as long as I'm hitting my sales quota, I don't need to do that. Like it's it's a results-oriented business, and that's now that I now that I have my own team, that's the vision I want to create. Is like no, I don't need you in the office every day. This if you're producing results, then go do whatever you want to do as long as you're producing. But the minute you don't produce, then we're going to bring you back in and you do need to, you know, come in and make your 20 sales calls a morning. Um, But just that's like one example. And I've kind of applied that to everything is it doesn't matter how hard you work. If you're doing it wrong, like if you're doing it the wrong way, you're not going to get the results you need. So trying to like model myself after people that are doing it the right way. um, And it doesn't matter if you've been doing it for 30 years. So other Real estate professionals will say, oh, I've been in the business for 30 years. Oh, they
1: love doing that.
2: Yeah. They could, they could be terrible realtors, though, versus yeah. me who did 26 deals my first year. And I learned a lot, but I learned how to do it the right way. You know, I'm not saying, but like a lot of times I was the better agent in the room in year two or year three than the person that was doing it 15 years because they were they were doing it the wrong way.
1: Jack, when, I, when we worked together, Jack and I worked together, I was actually uh, his managing broker at one point. And yep. I remember during that time when I was managing broker, I, we had an issue with an agent who had been in the business a long time, uh, and you know, they were having a problem with, with one of the agents in the office. So I reached out as the managing broker, trying to run interference, figure out what's going on, and I call them up, and they know what's going on, right? Because it has escalated to this point, and I'm getting in charge uh, as the supervisor, and, and I get them on the phone. And I, the second I get on the phone with them, I'm like, yeah, I'm Richard Bridges, I'm you know, managing broker with White Realtors out of the Eastern Prince William office. Um, you know, I understand that we're having a little bit of an issue with my agent X, Y, and Z and they are like, I've been doing this 37 years. And I would already looked at the documentation and the first thing out of my mouth was like, Oh my God, you've been doing it wrong for 37 years. <laughs> Good for That's you. Crazy. And th- dude, the pause <laughs> on the other end, I like, I, that person would have murdered me with their bare hands if I had been in front of them. But it was just like, it's that type of thing. It's like, just, uh, yeah, I, I, it's, it's funny that you say that because they do. They'll, they'll tell you, uh, even if they're wrong.
2: Yeah, Yep, I can see that. Okay. And so, yeah, I work in a sales sales business. Very sales. You know, it's it's a hundred percent commission. So why would I want to waste my time doing something that I know is not the way I want to work and not the way I want to do it? Um, you know, now that I work for my own team. I I do things different. I don't I don't go into the office every day from nine to twelve and do things a certain way. And I'm I'm actually more productive. You know, I'm getting more results doing it the way that I know how to do it and the way that work, works most comfortable for me.
0: Well, the way our economy's shifted in the last couple of years has definitely allowed people who are innovative to take the forefront in industries. Not just I mean, it's always front runners are always front runners, but. The increased flexibility of how we schedule our time and value our resources has all kind of created this watershed, I think, culturally, at least in this country, where I think people like yourself can create their own paths forward and don't have to do it like their dad did anymore, you know, and, and create new opportunities. But I'd like to hear a little bit more, if, if if there's no objection, Like, what do you do when you're not working? Like, is there a story that create? like, have you ever done anything crazy that's cool or gone to the Congo or jumped out of a plane or do you paintball on weekends or no jujitsu, anything? like that about yourself that isn't work related or do you I mean maybe you just binge watch tv that's cool too that's what i, do. I
2: know right yeah no I've, I've got a lot of interests um so i don't know maybe that's why i'm good at sales like i'm uh not that i not fake or anything but i can i'm i'm into a lot of different things you know so uh whether it's sports you know i've had you know washington commanders uh season tickets Nats season tickets like i i do like you know, professional sports. And I would say that that's a hobby of mine. I've got a nine and a six year old boy. So coaching baseball, um, you know, that, that takes up a lot of time during the uh, spring and fall. And then, you know, I've got a little red, redneck in me too. I like to get out there and, and ride, ride a four wheeler or there you go. That's shoot, for. shoot some uh, clay pigeons, stuff mm-hmm. like that. Yep. Um, so I, you know, I try to do that when i when I can, I like to get down to Florida for every spring training. So I'm happy to see that the uh the MLB and the Players Association reached a deal so I can go yeah. down and get some warm weather. I'm just gonna make it happen, Richard. I'm gonna like find a, a day in the next two weeks and just go down there for two days and try to
1: watch some some spring training baseball. Um and then that just is that out right there is a perfect example up. of like Living for thirty-two. One of the things that I, rec- I, rec- oh, I'm, I'm
2: super bit. I'm swamped right now, but I'm like, no, I'm gonna do this, gonna dude. Do it. It's
1: it's yeah. so crazy for the time that I've known you. Like you are perpetually one of the busiest people. You always have stuff going on. You always do. I mean, even if like you were in a transitionary period or you were growing, you were always staying very very busy in personal life and and professionally. And the thing I've always respected about you is you're like, no, nah, you're going to the baseball game. You're going to the cabin. You're gonna take that trip. Well, I have a
2: very understanding wife too. She lets me do what I want,
1: dude. Your wife is <laughs> shout out Jessica. She is the best. Yes, shout out, uh, dude. That yeah, that that that's awesome. And I'm actually gonna be the beneficiary of that. I got an invite yesterday to go to the old the old cabin out there in West Virginia on Sunday. So I'll yep. uh, we'll see if any of the redneckery r- rubs off on me, but we'll hopefully have some fun on on, on Friday.
2: Yep, eleven hundred acres of logging trails just to ride around and have fun in. So
1: yeah, that should be awesome. Um, so one other kind of last question I think for for us before we start thinking about kind of wrapping up is you had uh, you had kind of mentioned to us before um, that you we're not thinking real estate, or this is something I know you've mentioned to me before when you were in college, but kind of an audible thing kind of happened really completely 180 degree change where you were headed in life. Can you tell us a little bit about that? And ultimately, you know, how you ended up where you are right now?
2: Yeah, so I grew up in Richmond, went west to Virginia Tech, four hours in Blacksburg. Um, I, this is a big, I don't know why I didn't mention this. I married my high school sweetheart. That's kind oh, of, that's awesome. Only, uh, yeah. So that kind of, sorry, Jessica left that, left, left that part out, but <laughs> she's I married. She's sitting, she's sitting on the other side. of the, She's like, dude. Yeah, no, she's gone. But I, if she's upstairs, yeah. yeah <laughs> there uh, you go. So yeah, I married my ha- first girlfriend, junior year, dated her for two years in high school. And then she stayed in Richmond. I went away to college and we long distance for four years, proposed right before my senior year. And, um, You know, I graduated May 15th, got married June 5th, and then I was headed to law school. Now, this is 2010. The economy's terrible. Like, there's no jobs to be had. So I was just like, well, I'm not good at computers. I'm not good at, um, you know, engineering or anything like that. I'm just going to go to law school. I'm really good at writing and reading. And, uh, you know, we'll see where that takes me. So um, I had good grades at Tech, did good on the LSAT, applied. Got waitlisted at William and Mary, which is like a top thirty law school, um, and I was super bummed about that. Like, um, and I went down there, met with the dean, like tried to like you know smooth my way in, and it didn't work. So I was like, oh man. So I had to go to my fallback school of George Mason, which is in Northern Virginia, just outside of DC. But Mason, I was still happy to get into top forty law school, and um, I had good grades. My LSAT wasn't it was like average, I would say average LSAT. So I was happy to get into that school and it's just on the the nation's doorstep. So for a lawyer, it's probably a good, good spot to be. But I look at that and like, I was so crushed, like, Oh, I thought it was like William and Mary or bus. Like if I get into William and Mary, that'll set me up. And my parents, parents had always, they're like, um, more blue collar, you know, did not go to college, uh, stable, but like, you know, they always encouraged me, like be a professional, be a professional, like, no one can ever take, be a doctor, be a lawyer, be an engineer, like something that no one can ever take that job away. And so, um, you know, that was on my mind and I was on that track, but I didn't get into William Mary, which would have put me in Williamsburg and I probably would have, you know, gone there three years and gotten a job in Richmond. I instead trekked up 95 that summer, you know, one month after I got married, we moved up to just outside of DC to start law school. I did one semester of that and i had two a's a b and two c's like i was like 50th percentile and it was 2010 uh the professors and everyone was like only the top 10% are going to get jobs and it was very pressure 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 i was stressed out and uh you know i remember calling my dad and be like yeah i think i'm just going to you know take a year leave of absence you know i, I couldn't tell him that i was going to like drop out so i just called it a, a leave of absence which you're allowed to do a year a year leave of absence so um I dropped out after the first semester and I was like, now what? And I remember thinking this is before he was president, but I was like, okay, how can I be successful? Donald Trump makes a lot of money in real estate. (laughs) I was like, okay, well, let me, uh, let me look at, let me look at real estate. So I like networked Virginia tech commercial real estate people. And like, I went and had lunch and took them out to lunch. Everyone was actually really nice. That's the Virginia tech community. Love it. Like they took me up on it and like told me what to do. And they were, I quickly surmised like, okay, I'm going to have to be some big shots assistant for 10 years in the commercial industry. I don't, I don't come from money. I don't have those wealthy contacts to like build my own database up. I'll have to work for somebody and then like build my own contact list. Where could I be successful a lot sooner? And I was just like, okay, I guess residential real estate. But I kind of think like, it goes back to like the life lessons learned and everything. Like God's always looked out for me. Like that, that allowed me to, to step into real estate in a top five real estate market. You know, Mm -hmm. it doesn't get more stable. Like I would say New York, San Fran, all the people are leaving there now, but like historically, are like the sexy real estate markets. Mm -hmm. DC is like your, it's a good price, good price points. People are coming and going transitory with the government coming in and out um, military. And now they have the tech job. So it's a top five real estate market. And that's a reason that I still live in Fairfax County, just outside of Washington D.C., is because this is where the market is. All my family's still in Richmond. Jessica's family's in Richmond. It's a two-hour drive, so it's not that bad. But there's a reason we haven't moved back to that submarket, and we would have. Ne- this was never been on my radar. I was one of those typical Virginians outside of Northern Virginia who just thinks anywhere north of Fredericksburg is a terrible place because the traffic's awful. You can't get anywhere. Um, but now, now I love it, and I love the opportunity. And to kind of put a bow on it, I did end up, coming up becoming a professional. I'm a, I'm a professional realtor. No one can take that away from me. Like, I wanted a job where the harder I work, the more I earn. And that has been real estate. I've been fortunate enough, I won't go too long, but to transition from just real estate sales to real estate renovations and investments. And that's my passion. And, you know, um, I had to put in my dues at first and, you know, come from nothing to save money so that I could buy these properties. And then, you know, um, but basically the, the, the sales business allows me to, to funnel my house flipping business, which allowed that profit allows me to buy rental properties, which funds my lifestyle and my future retirement. Um, and that's now me in a nutshell, but it was all because, you know, I didn't get into William and Mary. I moved up here and I'm in a top five real estate market.
0: Well, I'll say I, as a Stafford boy, it's like I grew up in Woodbridge and Stafford, and I will say there's a reason Virginia doesn't bother to put up a welcome center to say hello till you get past Fredericksburg. That's all I'm saying.
1: It's like, I've always wanted, yeah, like that. You've got to get an
0: hour into it before anybody, anybody bothers to say hello. Yeah,
1: yep. <laughs> That's a good old Northern Virginia for you. Well, yep. Jack, this was awesome, man. Getting to learn even a little bit more. There were things I didn't know about uh, your story. And that's why we do this. This is exciting. Right? By society standards, you're massively successful in what you do. And you've worked so hard to get there. And it all was a result of failing at the thing you thought you wanted to do, going and being a lawyer. right? So I love hearing these kind of stories because it just goes to show when you have something that doesn't go your way, when you are so crystal clear that that is where you want to be in your life and life doesn't let you get there. That doesn't mean that there isn't another opportunity awaiting you just around the corner and you are living, breathing proof of that. You're an all round super dude. And we just appreciate you giving us time out of your day, coming on here, sharing those life lessons, that very heavy experience with the Virginia tech shooting and all of the other anecdotes that you shared along the way. So I just want to thank you so much, Jack, for being all with us today. I'm excited to get this thing edited and out. And I think we have the title for today's episode, which is live for 32. So that's what we'll call it. And we appreciate like it. You, uh, you being on today. Peyton, final thoughts?
0: It was just a pleasure to get to know you a little bit better, Jack. As I've heard about you for five years, man. We've, this is the longest we've ever spoken. So learning a little bit more about oh, yeah. you was really a lot of fun. And and to piggyback on what Richard said, it's like, yeah, it's, success can be dedication to one goal. And sometimes that'll you know bring you where you want to go, but far more often, it's the hard work intelligence and adaptability that are going to get you where you really want to want to land. And I think you're sort of the poster child for that. And I think it's really awesome. So it's just really a pleasure to get to know a little more about that.
2: Well, thank you both for having me on and I can't wait to hear some other podcasts from you guys. All right. We'll have one out eventually.
1: Have a good
2: one.